praise the Lord for its truth. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 18 in the Scriptures. 2 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, I want to just mention that sometimes people say things and I'm not sure how to receive it. I was trying to get my things together for Father's Day, and I I always go through Saturday night and I lay my clothes out, and I I press my suit, my shirt, make sure it's nice and fresh. I set everything out and hang it up to where I can get to it, and I was getting ready to try picking out ties and so forth, and and, uh, Linda said, honey, you probably shouldn't wear those skinnier ties because they make your stomach look really big. I got, I got a little uh, self-conscious about that, you know. <laughs> I'm like, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with the three cheeseburgers I ate this evening. It's not the cheeseburgers, it's the tie, right? So uh, so when I got to church, I started looking in the mirror, and sure enough, my stomach was looking pretty big to me, so I changed my tie. <laughs> and now I look really skinny. <laughs> <laughs> at least to me, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, I, I I always want Father's Day and every Sunday to be special, but uh, anyway, I was trying to be special and that kind of made me feel funny today. But uh, are you happy to be in church? Is, is it better than watching it on, on YouTube or something uh, online? Yeah, I think so. And uh, so thank you for being here. 2 Samuel chapter 18, the Bible says, And the king was much moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us as You do. And thank You, Lord, for Your mercy and Your grace manifest to us every day. Lord, Your mercies are new every morning and great is Thy faithfulness. Lord, thank You. God, I pray that in this service You would be magnified and glorified. Meet with us by Thy Spirit, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, Amen. I want to bring a message this morning titled, Timely Lessons for Fathers. Now, before all the mothers get away from us, uh, these are good things for moms too, and for anybody really. And uh, I think that it will be a help to us all if we would just open our hearts and allow for the Lord to do a work inside of us. I want us to understand that parenting is a difficult and challenging task under any circumstances. How many of you know that? Yet, under the duress of our culture and in the midst of humanism and hedonism, it is very overwhelming to so many. Someone once said that parenting is not for cowards. How many of you know that's true? Uh, If you have teenagers, it's doubly true. And uh, I think that we have to see that the only way to do it is to build lives on the unchanging Word of God in order to see children to grow up to love and honor God. You know, I think that we know that there are fewer than ever that are taking up the call 
to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to lead them to know God, to bring them to church, to instill within them the values that that really once made our country great and our families places where happiness and the joy of the Lord prevailed. And I think that we need to consider the truth. And as we do so today, we're going to take a a look into the life of David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart. But the fact that he was called a man after God's own heart uh, doesn't mean that he was necessarily a great father. And in fact, what we discover is he probably was not all that good a dad. In fact, if you want to do a case study in dysfunctional families, just read First and Second Samuel, and you'll get the idea that David, although he was a man after God's own heart, wasn't going to win Father of the Year award anywhere. The fact is that in his family was about every dread thing that you could ever imagine. There was problems of incest. There were problems of murder and rape and problems of drunkenness and rebellion and rebellious children and rebellious wives. And there were all manner of issues that broke the heart of David, not just as a king, but as a father. And I think that from his life, there are many lessons to be learned. And I I found that I can learn something from every person. Did you know that? I can learn something from every person, even if it's how not to do stuff. <laughs> right? I can learn that from some folks. And so, uh, listen, as we consider the life of David, there are some things that we need to really consider. And as we come to the text for today, we find that David is crying out in mournful sorrow over the death of his favorite son, Absalom was the favored son of David. The Bible indicates to us that Absalom was a handsome man. In fact, the Bible says he was very beautiful to look at. And he had long, flowing, beautiful, thick hair. And I'm sure that he spent a good amount of time on it. He was also a man of war. And people felt, as his father did, that there was very little that he could not do. And in fact, we find from the Scriptures even that David had the hope that Absalom would succeed him in sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And certainly, we know from a study of the Scriptures that that was not what happened, but something more devastating took place. What we know is that Absalom, though he was the son of a princess from Geshur, And the offspring of King David, he didn't always live his life in a royal fashion. And in fact, he was very hooked on himself. And there were certain things that I believe he learned from his father David that visited sorrow upon his family and upon every family in Israel. And I believe that it can all be traced back to a father who wishes that he could have a do-over. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, 
the more I look back over the course of my life and wish that I could go back and do some things differently. If I had it to do all over again, there would be some different choices that I would make. Knowing what I know now, there would be some things that, that I would try to do better. There would be some things that I wouldn't do at all that I did. But you know, there's no do-overs in life. Once it's done, that's it. I have six kids. They each have one life. I don't get the opportunity to experiment with them and hope that later on I can do it better. No, I've got to endeavor to do it better day by day. Instead of coming to the end of their life or to their moment of demise and cry out about what I would have done or I should have done or that I could have done but didn't. And in David, we, we learn some lessons, and I want us to consider them. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we notice the story of one of David's sons whose name was Amnon. Amnon had a sister named Tamar. She was his half-sister, but they were family just the same. They had the same dad whose name was David. And Amnon, in his heart, had a perverse feeling, a sensual lust for his sister Tamar. So much so, he, he couldn't control his lustful desire. And he had a friend named Jonadab that helped him conspire to convince the king to allow his sister Tamar to come minister to him while he played sick in his bedchamber. And as Tamar came into his bedchamber and he lay there feigning sickness, he laid hold of her and he forced his own sister and raped his sister Tamar. It was a terrible thing that had happened and Tamar suffered the consequences for the remainder of her life. She remained barren and alone in the house of a brother as a result of having been raped by her own brother. All the family that found out about it were outraged, some more than others. And the Bible gives us the response of David. It says in verse 21 of chapter 13, But when King David heard all these things, he was very wroth. You know what that means? He got mad. He was upset. He was angry. So, consider this. David's son raped his sister. Okay? David got mad. Well, he didn't like that. He got mad. You know what else he did? We don't know. Boy, it should say something in there that he took... Tamar aside and comforted her and, and, and brought her into the palace. It should have said something like that he rebuked Amnon or he exiled him from the kingdom or had him stoned. It should have been that he dealt with them lovingly and justly, but what David did was he got mad. That's it. And in this we find a lesson on passivity. David was passive about dealing with the issues of life and death that impacted his family. 
And what we find is that David was passive when he should have been active in the lives of his children. He missed opportunities that could have spared untold heartache. Now, I'm going to tell you this, that every admonition we have spiritually in the Bible, flesh doesn't want to do it. Have you ever found that to be true in your life? Well, I tell you what, none of us just feels like getting up at 3.30 in the morning to spend time in the Word in prayer. But sometimes the Spirit of God is leading your heart to do so, and your flesh just doesn't feel like it. And we have to, to transcend and overcome the impulses of the flesh and do what we know to be true and right. There are times where perhaps uh, we, we need to go visit someone. The Spirit of God has been talking to us, but it's 110 outside and we're tired and it's been a long week and we just don't do it because even though we have a spiritual impulse to do it, the flesh is fighting against it. How many of you have ever been in that battle? All right, And, and what we know is that David often, he, he felt certain things, but he just was kind of passive in the way that he dealt with them. And you know, Sometimes I'm kind of that way. It's easy come, easy go, and I'm just not uptight, don't want to get stressed out all the time about every little thing, and, and that's just me. I mean, I'm, I, I, I just want to be kind of mellow and, and uh, just go along to get along and just keep everybody happy. I'm the peacemaker in the family, and that's a good thing sometimes, and other times, you know what? It's not such a good thing. Because you know what? There are times where more than I need to get mad or just be passive, I need to get proactive. Do you know why? God has called me to be the leader in my home. Now, many of you perhaps uh, are single moms or you're the head of your household. And, and the leader is not the demagogue or the tyrant. The leader is the one that initiates that which is good. You take the initiative to be proactive about spiritual things. You're not just reactive to things. David reacted to this terrible thing that took place in his family, and what he did was he got mad, and beyond that, nothing happened. Okay? And we would all perhaps be in agreement. He should have comforted Tamar. He should have rebuked Amnon at the very least. Maybe put him to death, maybe banish him from the city, but done something to let the world know that incest and rape is by no means acceptable in this kingdom. And yet he was passive about it. It wasn't that he didn't feel anything about it. It was that he just didn't do anything. And at the end of at the end of days, he had woeful regret for what he could have done, for what he would have done, for what he should have done, and he didn't. Because he just got mad and he kind of let it run like water under the bridge and that was it. Folks, listen, we can't afford to be passive when we're raising the next generation to love and honor God. We need to be involved and actively engaged in their lives. We need to ask a few more questions. We need to spend a little more time in prayer. We need to pray with our young people, our kids and our grandkids. And we need to listen when they pray to get a window into the heart of a child and to know where they are in their relationship with God. We need to ask them the questions about what they're finding in God's Word, where they're reading and what they're getting from it. And by all means, we need to be involved in that process, not just reactive when trouble comes and feel bad, but never really take any proactive measures to help nurture them to live a holy life. Instead, 
what we often see happening is we just kind of bump along uh, like a bump on a log. And, and, and then when trouble comes, we feel bad about it, but we never do anything to change the behavior for the next time. And then we come to the end of it and we feel bad because we, we, we would have done this if it was different. We could have done that. Or we should have done that, but we didn't. And all that has happened is we felt bad and now sorrow and woe has been visited upon a family and lives have been impacted forever and we seem to just not be all that terribly upset. Although we're mad about it, we just didn't do anything about it. A lesson on passivity. David should have been more active as a father instead of just sitting back and saying, well, I'm the king, it'll be okay. What we find also about the life of David was that there was an occasion for him that followed this where that David's favored son Absalom was a handsome man, winsome, well-known in the kingdom, hated his brother Amnon for having raped Tamar. And so he devised a plan so that he could kill his brother Amnon and avenge the rape of his sister. Absalom had taken Tamar into his home and had her living there to try to comfort her for all that Amnon, her brother, had done to her and how that it had ruined her life for the rest of her days. And so Absalom decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to tell him it's the time to shear the sheep and all the sons of David are going to go out together for the sheep shearing season and we're going to spend some time together and we want our dad to come we'll build some memories together but he went there knowing that his dad was passive and that he would probably not go and so David said in verse 25 of chapter 13 and the king said to Absalom nay my son let not let us not all now go lest we be chargeable unto these saying look that's just too much for you to have to do. That's too much effort for you. Too much money to get the provisions together for our whole family to go down there. You guys just go and have a good time. And the Bible says, and he pressed him, meaning Absalom, knowing his father wasn't going to go press him, and said, oh, come on, Dad. Come with us. We'll build some memories. It'll be a good time. We'll, we'll laugh it up. It'll be, it'll be a great experience for us all. Howbeit, he would not go. David just said, I'm not, I'm not going to go, but the Lord bless you. You all go and have a good time. That's what he said. On top of that, we discover in chapter 11 something that gives us the insight to what has often been termed as the great sin of David. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, that passage begins in verse 1 with these words, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Sent, not went. It was a time for kings to go out to battle, and David was the king. But instead of going, he sent his proxies Joab, the general of his army, you go, I'll stay home. He should have went, but he sent. And in this we find a lesson on presence 
David was absent from critical moments of his life when he should have been proactive in leadership and present in the moment. And let me say this, parents. There is no good substitute in raising kids for a present, involved parent. The schoolhouse and the coach and the teachers and the babysitter and the TV set and the computer and the electronics are not a suitable substitute when raising children. There's no good substitute for parents actively there and engaged with their children's lives. David should have gone out to battle, but he wasn't there. He wasn't present with them. David should have gone down to the sheep shearing with his sons. And had he gone, I have no doubt in my mind that what happened there would not have happened. The absolute disaster that followed that event, it would never have happened had David been there. He would have prevented Absalom from slaying his brother Amnon. He would have done so. But he had some important work to do back at the palace and he had to work some overtime. Do you know sometimes we act as if the most important thing in the world to us is our job. And the ones that hurt the worst for it normally are our kids that desperately need us. They don't need a bigger house or a nicer car. They don't need an exotic vacation. They don't need more electronics in their life. What they need is more time with a dad or a mom that really loves them and cares. And sometimes when that is their need, what we do is we try to satisfy them with stuff. Instead of our presence with them, we give presents to them. And folks, is it any wonder that our world is like it is when we hear that more than half of the families in this country have no father in the home? That children raised without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty, to be on unemployment, and to go to prison. Because even the unsaved recognize how critically important it is to have parents engaged and present in the home. The Bible says in Proverbs, a son left to himself will bring his mother to shame. How many of you know that to be true? (laughs) How many of you did a lot of bad stuff that you shouldn't have done while mom and dad weren't home? (laughs) My hand's up. You know, the fact of the matter is, Kids need supervision and oversight. They need someone to establish boundaries in their life. Someone to be actively involved, to mentor and model those kids, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. David's presence there with them would have prevented the catastrophic, no doubt. But then we learn a lesson from David, not only on passivity, that we need to be proactively involved in the lives of our kids and our grandkids, but present in their life, not absent, not always a workaholic, away from them all the time. 
and buying them off with stuff. But we learn a lesson on priorities. We find that David there in chapter 11 should have as the king gone out to battle with his armies because that was going to protect his family, the kingdom, defend the honor of the king and his God. We're going against the pagans that hated Jehovah God. But he said, no, Joab, you all go. I'm going to stay back at the palace. He was more interested in personal comfort and in doing what he wanted to do. And he made that the priority instead of his duties that God had given unto him. David had misaligned priorities and that was no doubt passed along to his children. In fact, we find that after Absalom killed Amnon, his brother, he was exiled from Jerusalem. David hated to do it, but he knew he had to do something. And even though his son was away from him, he mourned his absence and he sent him away. And then he was partially restored back to the kingdom, allowed to come into the city. And day after day, Absalom would sit at the gate of the city and he would speak to the men who came and went through the gates of the city. And what he would do is he would be critical of his father, the king. Because men would come and they had issues that they required an audience with the king for and wanted some judgment from the anointed of the Lord. And David was doing other things. He had, you see, eight wives and concubines. And he had stuff to do at the palace. And and the real important work of helping people was not uppermost on his list. And so Absalom would criticize his father to those in the kingdom seeking to win their affections away. And he was said, he would tell them as they came, there's no man deputed of the king to hear your matters. I'm sorry, if I was the king, I would listen to you, but the king we've got doesn't have time for you right now. Now we might argue that Absalom was being rebellious and contemptuous towards his dad. He shouldn't have said that. But perhaps there was bitterness in his heart because he'd watched the hypocrisy of his father, the anointed of the Lord, who was a man after God's own heart, and saw that his values were not consistent. And somehow he passed that down to his own sons. David was living as a king and forgot that he was called to be a dad as well. And sometimes you look at people's lives and you wonder really what their priorities are. And I, I wonder if we look at the allocation of our time, which I think is, along with our finances, the best indicator of what is the most important to us. What would we say our priorities are? David should have learned to balance out the duties of the king while caring for and raising the next generation of leadership in the kingdom. My friends, you have a ministry and I have a ministry. And it doesn't begin at the church house, it begins at our home. And if you read 1 Timothy chapter 1 and Titus chapter 1, you will dis- or 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, you will discover that the re- requirements of a pastor are for him to have things taken care of at home because that is what gives him the qualification to take care of matters at church. And so, 
what we discover from that is that our ministries really begin and end at the home. And David lost track of that fact. We learn a lesson on priorities that he needed to place a higher priority on vesting himself in the spiritual needs of his family rather than just being busy about work all the time. What we find as well from this is a pattern or an example, if you would. And in this we find a lesson on pattern. And in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 37, the Bible says, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. Now, it's interesting to follow this. Uh, Maka, Absalom's mother, was the daughter of the king of Gath, Achish, and she was given to David by Achish, and out of that relationship came Absalom. And she was from Geshur, in, uh, in, uh, uh, there in Gath, which is where the Philistines dwelt, the enemies of the Lord. And so if we go back in time for David to 1 Samuel 27 and 28, there we find where that David had a crisis in faith and he was running from Saul who was pursuing his life unjustly. And when he failed of faith in the Lord, he said, look, I'm going to die one day at the hands of Saul and so I'm going to just flee from here. And he went down to the Philistine camp, the arch enemy of the people of God and of God Himself. And guess where he went? He went to Gesher. He went to Gath, and he dwelt in Gesher before he moved to Ziklag. It was there that he met Maka, the woman that became his wife and the mother of Absalom. I wonder why and how Absalom came to run to Gesher. Because he knew that's exactly what his dad did when he was in trouble. Instead of facing the problem, He ran from it. And he went to the enemy camp. Not only that, we we find that he conspired to murder his brother for the rape of his sister. He was deceitful with his father about it. I wonder where he got that from. Well, all we have to do is read chapter 11 about how David tried to cover up the sin of adultery and it resulted in the murder of uh, Uriah the Hittite and two of his mighty men, as well as the death of the child that was conceived in sin, four people died beside the sin of David and his deceitfulness in trying to cover up his sin rather than make things right. And so I wonder where Absalom learned deceit. I wonder where he learned to run away from problems instead of dealing with problems. I wonder where he learned just to kill people that you didn't care for and were inconveniently in your way. Listen, he learned it from his father because that was the pattern that David established despite the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. And it's really kind of paradoxical because what we find is that what it means that he was a man after God's own heart is this that he wanted to trace the heart of God. 
He wanted to pattern his life after the design of the heart of God for him. And whenever he sinned, he repented and he wanted to know the heart and the mind of God. What would you have me to do? What is your will for my life at this point? But somehow, he did not communicate that to his children. You and I are to set a godly pattern and an example for our kids and our grandkids. Friends, I'm going to tell you, I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard a parent that smoked tell their kids, boy, if you start smoking these nasty things, I'm going to chop your fingers off. And yet, you know what? Kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what you show them to do. Because more is caught than taught. I've heard men who are alcoholics tell their kids, if you get in my liquor cabinet, I'll chop your hands off. And the fact of the matter is that, listen, kids don't do what we say. It's not do as I say. Right? You say, do as I say, not as I do. They'll do what you do. And they'll think you're a hypocrite for saying not to do it. And that's what happened in the life of David. We're to set an example for our families. I wonder what is the example, what is the pattern that we have set forth into which our children will pattern their lives. You see, the highest duty of a parent is not to feed your kids three hot meals a day and to keep a roof over their head. It's not to teach them a trade or how to save or to build a FICO score or buy a house. It's not how to work or have a job. The highest duty of a parent is to lead their children to know Christ. There's nothing more important than that. They can always learn a work ethic. They can always learn a trade. They can always get, get investment tips. They can always do those things. But listen, if they don't start out with a passion for God, so they have money, but they're going to squander it on selfish interests, it will not be vested in the things that will endure. So, so they can have a house, but it will not become a home because it will be hell on wheels. Because Christ does not live there. The fact of the matter is this, that the highest duty that we have is to lead our children to know Jesus Christ in intimacy, to know Him as Savior, and to enter into relationship with Him. And I wonder if the pattern of your life is leading them to trace your steps into the church house and trace your steps into the prayer closet and to trace your steps into the service of serving the Lord by serving others. That is the example that God calls us to set. And yet David as a king took liberties and he, he taught things. And though his heart was warm towards God, I think that he overlooked the necessity of passing those things on to his own children. Solomon, who ascended to the throne after him, set his heart to many things, several things, uh, serve as an outline for the book of Ecclesiastes. And he came to the end of his days and he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Why? Because he had everything that this world had to offer, but he did not know Christ. And it was not, uh, he was seeking fulfillment in every other thing. That was not the thing that he sought to fulfill him. And at the end of his life, his heart was turned away from, from the Lord his God. And it was a disaster we find, fifthly, a lesson on persistence. David was asked by his sons, 
go with us to shear the sheep. No doubt had he gone, things would have turned out differently. David should have gone out to battle with Joab, but he stayed back at the palace and he chose not to go. We find that in so many places we're reminded that David was a man after God's own heart. And what that means is not that he was perfect, but that he persisted to know God's will for his life. But he failed to demonstrate persistence in mentoring his sons to become all that God desired for them to be. I'm going to tell you something. Um, I'll be 57 this week. And you know what? It seems like with every passing year, I get more aches and pains. (laughs) Some of you know what that's like, don't you? I I may be facing some back surgery. I I have to have an MRI this week. And uh, you know, uh, honestly, uh, I can't do the same things I did when I was in my 20s. I, in, my, in my mind, I can. I just like my body won't cooperate. How many of you know what I mean by that? Uh, I can't pull, you know, successive all-nighters and still, you know, bound out and have all the energy that I once had. Can you? No, I, I, I mean it's just different now. But you know what? I've got two teenagers, and I can't come to a place where I say I'm tired. I'll deal with it later. No, I have to persist deal with it now. I, I can't come to the place where I say, well, my back hurts. You know, I know that we need to deal with this now and this is a critical moment, but you know, I don't feel good. So, you know, we'll talk about it at another time. No, sometimes you got to push through. You got to press through. You need to, you, you need to sit them down and say, listen, what, what is in your heart? What are you thinking? Tell me what's in your heart. Sometimes you need to sit where you're reading in the Bible and what is it that God's showing you from his word? Talk to me about your relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we need to get down on our knees and pray with our children. And we need to listen so that we can understand what their heart is toward God. And even though we're tired, and even though we hurt, and even though we have aches and pains, and even though sometimes we feel like there are other things that need to do, we need to persist in the duty that God has given to us. Because I'll promise you this, at the end of your life, It will not matter where you lived, and it will not matter what you drove, and it will not matter where you vacationed, and it will not matter how much money you have left. If your kids do not love and honor God, your heart will be broken. David's heart was broken, and no parent thinks that they will out... outlive their children, but such was the case for David, and he, he cried out and said, listen... Absalom, Absalom, I wish I would have died in your place. A lot of things I wish I I would have done or could have done or should have done and I didn't. And he was filled with grief. Why? Because he didn't persist when when he was relaxed or didn't persist when he was tired or he didn't persist when he didn't feel like going out. And as a result, there was devastation visited upon a people and upon a kingdom and upon his family. Patience and persistence are essential components in obtaining victory for families. You can't just say, well, we'll deal with it at another time. And you know what? That other time doesn't ever show up. It just doesn't come. You have to persist. The last thing I would tell you is this, that we find a lesson on prayer. On prayer. Do you believe David prayed? Of course he did. There are hundreds of his prayers recorded in the Bible. Did you know that? They're there. I have no doubt that there are many more prayers that he prayed that were never put in to print. 
He was a man of prayer. Somewhere along the line, he didn't understand the need for family prayer. To pray with his kids. He failed in that task. He mourned to God rather than interceding to God for his children. But it was too late. It was too late. I'm going to tell you this, that there's never been a time in our history as a nation where there's been a greater need for godly parents to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to teach them the values that once made this nation great, to teach them according to thus saith the Lord. David would have, could have, should have said... Don't just read 2 Samuel 11, read Psalm 51, kids. God has been good to me. And God has restored the joy and, and offered me forgiveness. And, and kids, I want better for you than what I've experienced. And God, I want you to live a more godly life than what your daddy lived. And I want you to do better than, than what your daddy did. And not just financially, I want you to have a heart for God. I want you to be a, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, to the extent that you live more holy for Him than I did. And, and, and kids, I want you to know that I'm sorry that I didn't invest in your life like I should have. And I want to live the rest of my life as an example of God's redeeming grace and, and God's restorative grace. And I want to prove to you that I love you and that I love Jesus. He should have done that. Instead of waiting till the murder of his son and saying, I wish I would have. Folks, I want to say this to you. There are people that are in our lives that we love that will not be there forever. And we often say it is better to send flowers while they can smell them than to send them to the funeral. It's better for you to pick up the phone or go to someone's home and tell them that you love them and tell them how much they mean to you rather than just eulogizing them at the funeral. There are people that I know that are not going to be with me forever. My mother is, is one. And although perhaps she doesn't have the faculties about her with her disease to understand everything, I want her to go to heaven knowing that there's, there's a... A man that calls her mama and she can't quite remember his name and he was nice to me he brought me flowers you know there are people that I love that are sick people that I know that have cancer I don't want to stay, stand up at their funeral and just say nice things about them. I want to go to their house and I want to call them on the phone. And I want to tell them I love them now. Before it's too late. You know, we have opportunities now to invest in the lives of our kids. You say, my kids are grown and gone. Listen, they still need you. My son Jonathan will be 34 this year. 
He calls me all the time. He just wants to talk to his dad. Rachel's 32, and Becky will get married this year. She's 24. Sarah's 28 in August. She just got married. You know what? They act like they still need me. I think the reason why they act that way is because they probably do. They need somebody to counsel them in the ways of the Lord. Somebody to be an example to them that you can recover from bad choices made and have the joy of the Lord. They need somebody to show them the love of Jesus, teach them by an example, not just by our words, how to love their own children so that they can raise a generation to love and honor God. See, the only thing necessary to ruin a country is to lose one generation. But where are all the Christian parents standing up saying, count on me to raise kids to love and honor God? They're the ones that are going to honor law enforcement. They're the ones that are going to love others, red and yellow, black and white, just like Jesus has loved them. They're the ones that are going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but where are the parents that are doing it? My friends, as long as you have breath to breathe, and as long as you have a child or a grandchild in this world, you have opportunities that God has given And perhaps what we need to do today is make some calls and say, can we have lunch? Can we go to the park? We need to talk. And just be honest. Be willing to say, I'm sorry for the times that I have failed you spiritually. But my heart is burdened. And I know you may think that this is a little too little too late, but it's never too late. I love you. And I want to encourage you. And I want to tell you how much God loves you and how much I love you. Friends, there's no telling what might have happened if David got around to that. But he stood at the grave of his favorite son thinking, I wish there was some things that I would have done, but I didn't. Let's learn the lessons and let's not repeat history. Let's determine that we're going to make the difference that we can make with the opportunities that we have left while there's still time. Folks, I got six kids, six grandkids. And one day, Daddy and Granddad, that's me, I'm not going to be here. One day. You know, if they stand at my grave and they say, My daddy loved Jesus more than anything in the world. 
And my daddy loved my mama more than anybody in the world. And my daddy loved me with all of his heart. Then you can count that I was a success. Because that is the greatest measure of it. Not what did I leave of material nature. Friends, we have opportunities today. Let's not worry. Let's just seize those opportunities as God provides them and not come to the end of our life with regret, wishing what we would have, could have done, should have done, would have done. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would sear this message into our hearts. Lord, I pray that each of us would determine to pass the biblical values that we have received on to those that You have placed in our life that are coming up behind us. Lord, help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Maybe there's someone here that would say, Pastor Mark, pray for me. I, I want to make a difference on my kids and my grandkids with the time I have left. I, I want to make a difference for good, for God. I don't want to just give them recipes or teach them how to do a trade or a craft. I want to lead them to know God. If that's a desire of your heart today, I want you to just lift, lift your hand and say, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Lord God, I pray for these precious folks. Lord, help them and help us all to be everything that you desire for us to be. You might be glorified in our families. Lord, I thank you for a Christian father that took me to church, showed me the love of Jesus. Lord, I pray for every dad in the sound of my voice that they would have the desire to be the man that you've called them to be. May every mom have that desire. May each of us determine make the difference we can with the time and opportunities that we have left. And Lord, may You receive the glory and the honor through it. For this we ask and pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.